Hello folks, Sean from the Antifada here announcing a special promotion. This year in 2024, sign up for the Antifada at an annual level of $10 and receive a free copy of the Vortex Group's book on the George Floyd Uprising. Andy will send that right to your door. For on the $5 level for an annual subscription, we'll send you something really nice like a postcard or something like that. We're trying to build the show in this new year, and we appreciate your support as always. Thank you so much, and we'll see you on the other side. Nice cat. Yeah. Okay. So what are your questions? <laughs> Do you recognize me? Yes. Okay, good. Even with a cask, because your hair was not the same. No. I don't uh, know that. Maybe lost a little bit hair in the last few years. <laughs> I don't organize the cats, but I can be introduced to the cat. This is Rollins. Hi, cat. <laughs> really annoying when I'm podcasting. So if he's in the lap, it's better than if he's not, where he'll be knocking stuff yeah, over. <laughs> okay. All right. Do you want to get get started? I'll start asking you some questions. Okay. Okay. All right. No problem. I am talking to Lola Miaseroff, author of, well, I'll just come out and say it, Fag Hag, a memoir mm-hmm. of her life among the queer revolutionaries of France and. Today we'll be focusing on the emergence of queer liberation in the 60s and what's happened to it since. And well, I'm not really sure how to introduce you. I know you from communist camp in Europe. You're a pretty central and beloved figure in that scene. And you're the author of uh, Fag Hag, recently released on PM Press. But uh, how would you introduce yourself besides that? I describe it's difficult. Uh, first, I'm old, 76 now. So I was 20 in 68. In France, to be 20 in May 68, that means something. So that's something that characterized me. And it's not my first book. My first book was about 68 years. So since this moment, before I was desperate, since this moment, I began to be involved in destroying this bloody world, you know. Okay, je compris. And uh, that's my main program. But beside that, I'm not a militant. I am not someone uh, uh, who sacrifices himself or herself to fight for the revolution. I like uh, all the pleasure of the life also, you know, that's important. I was mainly influenced by the SI, you know, and the anarchist movement. <laughs> so my boss, my boss influence. And the fire came after another book, the first one, uh, Voyage en Outre Gauche, you can translate that travel in the outer left. And it comes from this book. This book was a collective book trying to explain what was going in 60, what I call the 68 years, 1968, the before 68 and after. And the, all the, what you call Liberation Front, I don't call that Liberation Front, you can talk about that. Uh, they began at this moment. It was in France, a period, not only in France, in all over the world, a big period of revolt. And in France, it was characterized by something more than a student movement, as also a worker movement, a very big strike and all that. So all the France was completely, uh, all France was completely different after that. And the context of the um, creation of the first front, homosexual front in France, was called FAR, uh, Front Homosexual for Revolutionary Action, and not Homosexual Liberation Front. That's very different. It was a front uh, composed by, um, yes, Patrick, faut que tu coupes pour longtemps. Faut que tu coupes la télé pour longtemps. Thank you. <laughs> my, partner, my, partner, my partner was watching the TV. Then, was what I was saying, that um, for, for, front, for homosexual front for liberation action, it's not a liberation front for homosexual. It was a front composed by homosexuals and their friends and allies to make the revolution for everybody, not only for homosexual. <laughs> it was not a communitarian movement. It mutes after that. But the, when I participated to this front, what was it was not only homosexual people there. Was homosexual, bisexual, bisexual, every sexuality and even straight people, you know, can participate. The aim was to liberate everybody. So this was the the homosexual front of revolutionary action, the FHAR, yes. correct? 
Yeah, it was not a liberation front. <laughs> There's something else, more. All right, so we'll get into that. But before we, we get into the 70s, I wanted to talk about your time in and around 68. A lot of the book is about your, your childhood. You had anarchist parents, Russian immigrants, and uh, you grew up in a very bohemian atmosphere as a result of that. So tell us what your life was like then and, and how it was affected by May 68. Difficult to explain how to say that. The, the period in France before 68, it was terrible. Not for me because I had a special education. I was very free at home, you know. Um, the nitrous colony of my parents was a free, a free space. And uh, also, but outside from this margin world, you know, world in the margins, all the world, you know, the high school, uh, my father works and all that. And it was a great um, repression on the life. It was after the expansion period called, we call the Trente Glorieuse in France, you know, after the war. Um, wellness was coming for everybody, was supposed to come and all that. Production was very high. And in the same period, France was very um, under, um, it was the General de Gaulle, uh, the government. It was a big uh, sexual repression, freedom repression, life repression. And the use, as in many countries in Europe and outside, was in revolt, you know. And it was part of this revolt. But I have not to fight against my parents. <laughs> not as other friends. <laughs> My parents are uh, with me. And 68, we are very desperate because everything seems to be closed. What, what could be our future? So I was living at night in clubs, in gay clubs and all that, you know. Uh, I just missed a big career of, uh, of a gay icon, you know, <laughs> in the nightclubs. And 60, when May 68 and before uh, came, so I understood that I have not to despair. I can hope in something in the life. And not only my marginal area, you know, in, everybody was in revolt. So it changed really my life. Before that, I was my first shock. I wasn't supposed to study at Aix-en-Provence University, and I just hated that. So I spent all my night outside or going to uh, looking movies. There are a lot of movies there, very cheap. We can go everywhere. I didn't want to study the stupid university, you know. Everybody seems to me stupid. But I was a little guilty because my parents have no money and they were taking their money to live there, you know. And uh, the guiltiness vanished when I was reading the um, famous pamphlet, you know, um, De la misère en the misery in the étudiant milieu, student milieu, you know. You know this pamphlet? The poverty of student life in English. That's the translation. I've, so, and also I'm not, I'm not the only one. I'm not to feel guilty. They're really stupid. All these academics and all that. I can live that and do another life. It was my first shock. And it was that in the uh, end of 67, when, when then was the Society of Spectacle and um, Van Eckham's book. And all that was introducing me what was going on in May after. Is that a joint? No, just a cigarette. Oh, okay. It makes me want to smoke a joint, but I can't smoke inside. We're not quite so free <laughs> as you are in Paris. Welcome in America. <laughs> <laughs> I know the rules. So, uh, 68, we had some demonstration before and began something. I was in Marseille. No, nothing happens in terms of fighting with the police and all that because we're protected by the socialist uh, mayor, you know, and uh, the PC was very strong. So only our physical battles was the PC, you know, PC and CGT, the PC union. They were fighting against us. We don't have to, to approach the workers. So our parents were there, <laughs> the workers. And that was a real shock for me and changed my life. So I stopped pretending studying and decided to live by, by myself, not to work. That was a failure because after a long moment, I had a job, but it's years and years of work, freelance working from time to time, living in groups, trying to have another life, to change our life, kind of. Lifestyle anarchism, if you want. But in the same time, I was initiated to the, the council communism and all this left communism. You know, that means something other and something um, different as a lifestyle anarchism. Mm -hmm. you know? That's the beginning of something more um, involved in theory and all that, you know, besides the SI and all that. In addition to all this, you were 
from even earlier, I think 65, you were considered a fag hack. What, what is the translation yeah. of that in, in French? There's a very good job by Dal Nich- Nicholson-Smith translating your book. Yeah. And, and, and so what did that mean to you, and why were you labeled that? I, I don't they label me. Uh-huh. And I'm guilty for that, you know. I tell the book, so I didn't care about that. I was very close to a lot of gay people, good guys and some girls, you know. And one time, it's written in the book, a guy said to me, you know, um, some some girls are for sailors, some girls are for soldiers. You are for hags, you know, and you are a fag hag. It's okay, I am that. My father called me, um, you know, this um, Holy Rita for the lost cause, you know, for the prostitutes and all that. And they say, I'm Holy Lola for the fags, you know. <laughs> so it was that. They labeled me, I don't. But it's very... It's a label that every uh, people who are in the game you know what does it mean. Even as you who are pedi was very now it's very militant uh, gays use it, uh-huh. but it's supposed to be a bad word, you know. What, what was the my old... mother was a fag hag, you know? Okay, my mother was a fag <laughs> So it runs in the family. You've got the fag hag gene. Yes. What was the <laughs> connection between the queer life in France and '68? Was everybody on board? Uh, the word queer has come later. No, not everybody at all. Uh, I, my friends were on board, but there was in, in France an old homosexual organization called Arcadie, who was completely different oriented. Was oriented on uh, the homosexual have to be shy, have to be very, um, um, very quiet, uh, be as everybody, you know, uh, and not revolting. The connection to society and the gay movement and the gay milieu was a moment where we began to say that to be homosexual is a kind of subversion. It was not free. It was, it was a true, in fact. But it was something to do with that. You are revolting about your repression as homosexual and also as proletarian, as worker, as a student, as uh, everything. You know, it's one kind of, and not all the milieu, a lot of homosexuals are very rightist, you know, really. Now, until now, you know, from the right first. Um, the, the woman, the trans woman who made me the afterward, Elena Zera, uh, she's old now at asked me, why, why not, why we are not um, creating um, a retirement house for trans people? They say, you are crazy. They all are reactionary and rightists, you know. <laughs> and a lot of, so there is no automatic connection between homosexuality and revolution. Mm-hmm. And we know that the the S the SA in Hitler they were Nazis and homosexuals, you know. <laughs> so what, there is no direct connection. But what do you think connects queerness with revolutionary politics? I don't like the word queerness, you know, because it's it's it takes all in the same in the same in the same pot, you know. Mm-hmm. But there is no special connection. There is connection when we when we want to change your life and to be a revolutionary queer. If you don't, you can be a, you can be a model, top model, nothing else, you know. You're not obliged. There was a kind of myth in the uh, homosexual front that the, the homosexuality was revolutionary by itself. That's not true. <laughs> There's a kind of myth uh, at, at the moment. They say, okay, if you're homosexual, you're revolutionary because you're against the family. And the root of the capitalist society is the bourgeois society. It's completely untrue. Says the example of the SA, SA is a, it's a good example, but nothing to do with. It's, it's not connected by itself. It can be connected if you want to connect it. When you say, you're, you're talking about the SI, the Situationist International? No. Oh. SA, it's a yeah, Hitlerist. Um, oh, the, the SA. Hitler. Okay, okay, okay. SA. Right. Not SI, SA. Got it, got it. Got it. <laughs> Important difference. But uh, do you think that there is something to that? I mean, Marx talks about abolishing the family and the Communist Manifesto. And obviously, the you talked about fighting the Communist Party earlier. Traditionally, the, the Orthodox Marxists have been critical of homosexuality as bourgeois degeneracy or something like that. And I, I think there is something to queer people today embracing that degeneracy as a as a sign that the the gender roles and the, the the patriarchal family structure is fading away and people can live 
with a certain freeness. Depends, depends where they live in the house, you know. <laughs> in Europe, in Occidental countries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't, don't forget that a big part of the world is homophobic. <laughs> sure, but I, I think they see even the being able to marry, for example, as a step in the right direction, even if it is just a liberal reform or liberal progressivism. Yeah. Uh, but do, do you think that they're... If it doesn't point in the revolutionary direction, it points to maybe capitalist social relations breaking down in some way. So liberal capitalism. <laughs> it's typical liberal capitalism yeah. as a new feminism, you know. To be free to make a to make a family, even if you're gay, it's nothing that to make a family, nothing more. I'm not against, I can understand perfectly, but it has nothing to do with the revolution. It's just more liberalism. <laughs> you know, uh, I know some gay families who have a child coming from GPA. I have a doctor like that. It's really bourgeois, a bourgeois family. Mm-hmm. The education of the, of the of child is really bourgeois. So it has two fathers and not a mother. There's only difference that uh, he's educated as any doctor's son in the world, you know. <laughs> but in your book, I mean, you, you talk about your circle as a kind of family, and it, it reminds yeah. me a lot of this conception of the, the chosen family in, in queer theory today. Do, do you think there's a, a difference there? There's no difference. The problem is that not every queer is, 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 is involved in that, you know. Uh-huh. To be queer, you can be queer or not to be queer, and to have to fight the family. That it's not easier when you are queer, but it's, it's supposed to conduct you more. For that, that's not, it's not the case. We can see that with the new uh, bourgeois uh, queer families. In Israel, they give the authorization of the GPA and they naturalize Jew, the, the body of women they, they, they buy to make babies, you know? Mm-hmm. Shit. That's new, acti- new capitalist activity and rentability, using the women's body to make shit. I can understand that perfectly. That was, I never have, want to have a child. I am refusing of the maternity, but I can understand that it's just a, a new, uh, um, a new capitalistic branch, you know, <laughs> producing children, <laughs> even for gays or people who can who can't have children because more and more people have some problems to to make children, you know. It's it's not it doesn't lead to the revolution. Something well, yeah, not a, not on its own. But do you think that you know your circle of, of revolutionary? gay people, maybe they had a, a conception of queerness that was revolutionary, or do you think the queerness was coincidental to the revolutionary project? No. Say, yeah, they are revolutionary queers. They're not. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's not because you're a queer revolutionary. It's, it's not because uh, you're revolutionary that you're queer. Even if we thought when we were young that to be a good revolutionary, you have to practice everything, you know. Uh, you have to open you, but you have to oblige to continue. You have to taste if you like or not. There's a little bit uh, kind of things we make that was not so fair. You know, everybody was obliged to try everything. You know, <laughs> even uh, homosexual person and heterosexual persons have to try the opposite to know if they like it or not. There's a little bit of how we are young, you know, and asking to people to be very radical. You know? <laughs> So, yeah, so maybe if we talk a little bit more about the history, we'll we'll sort this out. Uh, but but getting back to '68, I really <laughs> enjoyed the the parts of your book that describe '68, its origins, and I really wish the other book was in English. Your 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 book that's more specifically about '68. But I was really struck by those descriptions of that cultural explosion, and it reminded me so much of what was happening in New York and what was happening in in London and in Mexico. San Francisco. Uh, so, yeah, basically uh, cities all over the West and, and elsewhere, too. Why do you think that was all happening around the same time? It goes, it goes with, um, with a new state, the stage of the capitalism, also. After the, what we call, I don't know, how, I don't remember how it's called in English, the Trente Glorieuse, the, the 30 great years, you know, mm-hmm. when, uh, after the, as well as the construction. After that, uh, the profit began to to go loud, mm-hmm. and the oppression of the workers and of the people who are more and more the exploitation began to be a little bit more severe, you know. So there's a reaction to that also, and people who go uh, it was the first generation, the generation when some worker children were at the university. Before that, it was only bourgeois children, and they, they they didn't know what is going to happen, but they. Anticipate 
is going to happen to them. So you have to, you are going to work on your life for a few months. You, know? you don't want to, people don't want to have the same life as their parents. And the um, struggle against exploitation and the struggle for more, more freedom goes, goes uh, in, um, together, you know. The same thing. You, are, you want to fight against exploitation and to fight on the life that the exploitation makes, gives to you. And I'm not sure I'm clear. Yeah, um, yeah, I, totally. The, the daily life is completely impacted by your by the, by the exploitation, exploitation men for men, human being for men, and all your daily life is impacted by that. Uh, struggling with the daily life, you don't have. If you struggle only on the daily life, you mistake. If you struggle only on um, work uh, and wage wage labor front, you mistake. The great uh, um, input of the SI was to put it together. And, and yeah, you, to you, put together daily life mm-hmm. and what is making the daily life its exploitation, it, human it, exploitation. It, it seems like from the book, Van Eichem's The Revolution of Everyday Life was a, a pretty essential text to you and your friends. Would, would you say that that was maybe the, the main text that you were reading in, in terms of your radical politics? I was reading a lot of things. But uh, it was a lot of things uh, against the uh, USSR, you know. But now it's obsolete. There's nothing. Every text was, what Brooks was telling was going in USSR. It was mm-hmm. the first thing because the PC was completely um, devoted to USSR. I was not. My parents were Russian and they knew what it was. My father was living in USSR, you know, until the, in, until the 20, 20, 90, 90, uh, 25, you know. So he knew what the Bolshevism, you know, clearly. But my big influence was I size. So that's the spectacle. So the spectacle, society of spectacle and, um, the Van Games book, uh, how is English? Traité de savoir vivre. It is that the title of the book of Van the, the revolution of everyday life. It has the title. It's funny because in French it's traité de savoir vivre. How to live, you know, uh-huh. uh, savoir vivre is also the good manners, you know, so it's kind of detournement. This month. So the two books and the poverty on sort of media. That was my big influence before 68. After that, there's a lot of other influences. <laughs> and, and it seemed like the SI brought together a lot of this outer left current, as you call it, anarchists, ultra left communists. Um, would you say that this milieu was uh, generally pro situ or was it just a lot of different people, a lot of different ideas rallying around this cultural moment? There's different currents. Not only many people don't know nothing about the SI. In Marseille, I was living, I was one of the very common person who was reading that. Mm-hmm. And we were in the same groups and tendencies. I remember someone introduced to me a guy who was reading the same I was reading. It was very uncommon. Uh, we are not in Paris. We are not in intellectual media, not in academic media, even academic. Nobody was reading that at this moment. It was by chance I followed that, you know, really by chance. Reading in the newspaper, you know, something about the Strasbourg scandal. And I was curious and tried to find it. Uh, it was very uncommon. Nobody has written the size this book. After that, became the prostitute and all that. When I became to be more oriented to left communism, came the prostitute. <laughs> the bloody prostitute. Who make an ideology with the SI. It was not. I, I didn't catch that. Uh, what, what was the word you said? When I became more after '68 oriented to left communism, uh-huh. then came the pro-situationist. The red, oh, the, pro, the, the pro-situationist, the pro-situs. Yeah, yeah. They, they come at this moment. Was bloody people coming at this moment, you know, and trying to. They didn't understand nothing about what's going on. They didn't read Marx. I was. I didn't knew. I didn't knew much about Marx before reading the SI. When I was reading Marx, I understood. What was a spectacle society, you know, right. the real domination? <laughs> but I didn't know. I didn't know the notion. It was quite new in France, the young Marx notion of real domination, of um, capital and the work and formal domination, you know, this period. Mm-hmm. At that, I knew that about that in 72, something like that, 73. Nobody knew that. There was no translation, no good text. Only the PC was sell, selling uh, Marx text. He was choosing what he has to sell. So there's another percentage. So SI was my big influence because it makes a shock for me. But after that, I have to learn a lot of things because it doesn't learn many. 
Einstein doesn't know many. He just awake you to something. Did you have any contact with the Situationist, with uh, Vinaygam or Debord? Not in that period. Uh, after that, we have some ties, but you know, they, 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 they wrote something like, young people, if you are clever, smart, uh, you know, a lot of things, make your own way, don't come, don't come to us. And they practiced that. Mm. After some, some years after I met some, I had some friend who used to be in the SI, but it was by chance. Mm-hmm. That some friends and my translator uh, from Fagag is a, it's a, an ex uh, for the SI, Donald Nicholson Smith. Right. And he's a good friend, but I knew him in 78. Okay. Later, later. So you never got Before to party was, with the board? Hmm? You never got to no, party with him? I, I met him in some bars. He was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> really? After that, I met him in some bars. I just, I didn't want. He was very paranoid, and we had friends in common, you know. Mm-hmm. It was a real problem. A friend of us um, was uh, going on vacation at his uh, countryside house, and she, she didn't want, she gave to me. At this time, we didn't have phone, smartphone. We wrote letters to each other, and she didn't want to give the post, the post address, you know. <laughs> because, because, oh, if everybody knows where I live and all that. <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, it was... I had no reason to meet the SI. I meet people from the SI after, when the SI was finished. Anyway, they were not so bad generation, so you know, I was younger. <laughs> so some young people, like Patrick Cheval, he was on my age. So he became a friend in 72, 73, something like that. But after, I, not, I wasn't looking. I didn't want to be a prostitute. I wasn't looking to meet them. I knew they were difficult anyway. <laughs> and all the sessions, stories of it, everybody knew the gossips, you know, around, around that. In all Europe, in 73, was in Italy, everybody knew what was going on after the big, um, big split in the SI and all that, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not the main. Uh, so uh, I want to ask about Stonewall. Was uh, when uh, the Stonewall riots happened in New York in 1969. <laughs> That really was the beginning of a, a political queerness or a queer liberation movement in, in the U.S. And th- there's this idea that Stonewall kind of started queer liberation everywhere. What, what was the impact of Stonewall in France? We knew about Stonewall. Very few people knew that, you know, about Stonewall. And uh, what's characteristic of Stonewall? That there was a, uh, the bar was a bar. Um, well, not rich people were there, not bourgeois people, not white rich people, as was the majority of the uh, homosexual uh, liberation front, you know. But I heard of that. The impact, I, I think there was no real impact. Only well-educated people knew something about Stonewall. Mm-hmm. In the gay, normal community, nobody has heard about that. <laughs> All right, so yeah, let's let's talk about the FHAR, the Homosexual Front of Revolutionary Action. What was that group like? And I'm uh, particularly interested if you could talk a little bit about uh, Guy Okanagan, if I'm saying that right. Guy Okanagan was a very handsome guy, very brilliant, but he was coming from the Maoist sphere. And I like the guy, but we were not enemies, but uh, confronting because he was as other, what we call leftists in France, that means Leninist people, you know, coming from the Trotskyism or the Maoism. He was coming from the Maoism and former for the Trotskyism, I think, I don't remember. Anyway, he was with, what we call the Gauchist leftists. Being some, some people who are um, involved in party, in party and all that. And uh, in, the, in the organization, uh, in the front, uh, the homosexual front, uh, there was really a kind of bureaucracy, and he was part of the bureaucracy. And he was the first guy. I remember a big argument with him, and it changed his mind after. Uh, he was he was the first guy I heard saying clearly, "If you are an homosexual, you are a revolutionary person." And we said no. And after that, he came back on that. But he was a little bit ideologic person. So. So uh, I was, as everybody, seduced by him because he was so handsome and so brilliant and all that. But he was a kind of bureaucrat, you know, for me. 
Well, there's a there's been a kind of a rediscovery of his work in the U.S. I think the Screwball Asses was was republished around 2010, and there, there's been a lot of his stuff translated since then. Um, but uh, uh, and I think a lot of it hints at some of the identity uh, politics that were going on in the FHAR, which I think ultimately led to it falling apart. And you were there for a lot of it, so yeah. What was uh, what what was like the sort of arc of the FHAR and um, and how did it end up splitting up? And I'm sorry I catch I catch your question, but uh, if you have read in my book, you know that I'm fighting against identity politics. Mm-hmm. In favor of class politics. <laughs> okay. Right now, so I, I catch exactly what you say. Uh, what was I, yeah, I'm exactly just asking about like a, what, you know, what the FHAR was initially and then how uh, those identity politics played out and, and how you ended up leaving the organization. Now, initially, it was very informal group. It began, everybody knows the story, it began with some uh, TV set, was like scandals, and people gather. And we heard, I was at this time living in kind of common apartment with... Um, eight to ten people, among them uh, some homosexual guys, the girls were not there, some homosexual guys, and we, uh, since long time, we didn't want to be a common, want to be an active group living together to be active, very snobbish, but anyway, and we are acting as homophobia against all that, you know, very... Uh, Currently, and provocating people. Uh, before that, before '68, I was with my friends in Aix-en-Provence, provocating people on the homosexual theme. You know, coming and making homosexual provocation and all that. You know, we used to that. Some for years and years, I was used to people was provocating uh, people, facing them, confronting them to the homosexuality. You know, so it was a long time. But for for me, it was very clear for my comrades, then we have to join these fronts. And it was very informal. It was a big uh, general assemblies. And the general assemblies were more a kind of show, you know, as anything, and a place to meet other people, to uh, uh, to uh, to try to find some lover for the night and all that. But outside of the general assemblies, there was um, district committees. It was in Paris exclusively. In Paris, we have some committed quartier, these committees, you know, and we tried to make action in the, in the area. What was funny is that I was living in the Marais, who became after the great gay merchant movement area, you know. At this time, it was just an old Jew area, you know, Ashkenaz area. And we had this quartier committees we tried to make intervention. I don't remember exactly all the things we made, but we met regularly and tried to, um, um, to join um, regular demonstration, uh, not only to join as homosexual group, uh, all the demonstrations, the struggle. There's a lot of things going on after '68 in France: struggles, strikes, and all that. And we try always to be involved in even in our area in all what is the struggles were going on. You know, the homosexual struggle was not the, the only one aim; it was part of that, and nothing more. What was the reaction to of the rest of the left when they saw the FHAR? Depends on uh, when we were two uh, making two big scandals. Uh, there was a, a moment there was inside um, this kind of myth, mythic group or kind of the group I mean, bunch of people called the gasoline. You know if you heard about the gasoline, gasoline. Just from it's the a very famous. It's a kind of myth and. With the gasoline, it was um, a guy, a Maoist guy, who was murdered in a, in a Renault factory. And it was a big, big people, big demonstration going to the, to the cemetery with him. And with the gasoline, we made some scandals because we found the Maoists are recuperating all that, you know, in favor of the stupid group, you know. And Daniel Guerin, the old anarchist, good guy, said, that's a scandal. He was homosexual and militant. And he said, scandal, making such a scandal at, at a burial, just impossible, you know. Uh, many people were scandalized because um, not only, not by homosexuals, but by, I don't know what to call that, fags, perhaps. We call it fall. So very feminine and uh, very um, screaming and all that, yelling people, you know, um, more feminine uh, guys. 
and more birds, women, women, you know. So many were scandalized, but I don't know because at the same time it was fashionable. You know, after sixty-eight, the liberation, sexual liberation, all that was kind of fashionable thing. You know? So there's a lot of great stories in the book about your run-ins with different sects on the left, with feminism, queer revolutionaries, but you always seem to drift away from these groups to more informal cadres built up from friends and lovers. And this seems to be today the general way that revolutionaries operate, in at least in the U.S. today. But there's also a strong nostalgia for Leninism. Um, So looking back, do you think that do you still have some affinity for that more informal strategy? Or, yes, uh, I am against the vanguardism. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I I hate all organizations who try to, to pretend to educate and guide people. People know what they have to do by themselves, and the self-organization for me is the best way to make the revolution. Does that mean we are not organizing organiz, organizing for an action or for something? But uh, when you have a, a permanent organization, it becomes a bureaucracy each time. An organization for a struggle, for a moment, I'm okay. But each time that it, it's a, it's still there in the time, in the, in the long time, it becomes a bureaucracy each time. <laughs> well, how do you think these, these different informal groups can coordinate for, for something like a revolution? Or, or do you think that kind of coordination just... The, the coordination is making... We are not making the revolution. We are going with other people in the revolution. We are not guiding the revolution. We are not deciding what's, what's going on. The coordination, you make that in the action. And uh, see the Yellow West, for instance, for instance. It was completely scandal because they were not so uh, left people and all that. But they did coordinate with an organization. They coordinate at each time they need to do that. And the same in 68, we didn't, we didn't need to have a coordination. We have to have some nets information, but we are not guiding the revolution. Organizing, organizing the revolution for me is going to the back to SSSR or Maoist China. We, we have no special role to do. I, we are not revolutionary before we make the revolution. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I know I'm clear with that, you know. And we are here, we are, we have a revolutionary project, but it's not our project, it's a collective project. And we can organize other people that if we try to organize between ourselves, it's pretending we are the chiefs of revolution, something like that, you know. And we are not. We are nothing, in fact. Just some people who try to um, to be awake to the revolution, to uh, to communicate something. I'm not making propaganda or agit prop. Never. So during this period, I you know, the, the common narrative of, of what happens from 68 to the 70s is that yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of people become bureaucrats or politicians or um, or and, or or maybe like left wing terrorists or something. There's this narrative that the 70s was this period of sort of revolutionary decline and defeat. How, how do you see that period uh, from the, the early 70s? I was 70s on a book on that, you know. My first book was on that, you know. Um, I never think it was a defeat because I never I, I never thinking that the real the revolution beginning at this moment. But on the Ten years after, uh, and between, between 68 and something like 78, we were sure that the revolution is for tomorrow, not for now, for tomorrow, in the future, you know. Uh, and we are living in that, you know. After that, we realized what was the case. But, um, how to say it? Bureaucrats and chiefs, it's all people who were Leninists became that. It was clear. Uh, some all the trots, some Trotskys um, became minister, you know. Uh, some Maoists became big, big chief of um, uh, enterprise and a businessman and all that. Uh, we, our outer left, can add very few of them, some of them, but very few of them um, took part. Those who are not traitors never took part in that. The book I wrote, the first, uh, was interviewing people who never quit. And there are a lot of people that never quit old people and some young women. We never quit. So never became, uh, we try to survive as, as we can do it. Not, not very good. Anyway, I was thinking also that every job is a, is a bad job, is a bullshit job, any job. And the interesting job is a trap because you are working. For, if you work for money, you work for money. 
et de l'exploitation exploitation somewhat. So, uh, so the common uh, vision of 68, it was a student revolt. That's not true. It was a worker revolt also, and since years and years. Um, it was a movement that falls completely after. It was not true. Years and years after, some new people came in this movement. It was um, uh, other people joining all the, that current, you know. For years and years after, we had a lot of movements uh, between 68 and the, the bloody 80s. In the 80s, that became the big crisis. Everybody was desperate. Some people uh, fought in terrorism and all, all this, all, all ideology of anar anarchism um, exemplification. You know, to say that you make something to um, uh, say to people they have to do the same. So mm. that's very stupid. It was a very bad period. Anyway, even that the period, yes, even uh, in this period, uh, we continue. There was no more, so more actions, but we've continued to publish. Um, uh, text and uh, pamphlets, and uh, but it was a small scale. You have to retard a little bit. So from time to time, there was some emergency because of some worker movement to strike. Before the nineties, it was hard. we had our time anyway. But we were still here, you know. <laughs> yeah, you you mentioned that uh, that some of your comrades in the the FHAR became uh, supporters of Mitterrand when there was the the promise of gay rights. I, I it's think same. It's really the same. I tell that in the book. There was a, a big uh, thing in, the, in some nightclub called the Palace approving him. Oh, it was good they made that, but anyway, we knew who was Mitterrand, you know. He was uh, in the VC government, you know. We knew. I remember there was a big demonstration when he, uh, when he won the Wales. And we, my partner, said, We don't have to go this week. We went to say, Don't smile. We are not happy. Well, people were happy. To, um, to throw back all the right uh, government. But we knew that was just make no difference. My father was very naive. He said, you know, Mitterrand is coming. He was very pro-Mitterrand. He was not true. He was not French, so he couldn't go to the world. But he said, okay, you know, the unemployment will be, will be less uh, important. Than, so, no, nah, bullshit, nothing. So I won a bottle of wine against my father because he was sure that Mitterrand, I'm proving the thing. He was not. And Sama, uh, going to this traditional left, but not our cameras. I don't know. Uh, not one of my friends, close friends, went in that bloody shit, you know. <laughs> but some people became to be, um, uh, to vote and things like that, you know. That, that may happen. Okay. Because they want. I don't care. I'm not Democrat. They can use it if they want. <laughs> yeah. Another big part of your book is about the centrality of crime in, in your lifestyle. And uh, I really like the part at the end where you you felt like you were losing the habit of committing crime. So you committed to break, break some law every day. But then after a while, you realized you were just running red lights as an, as an excuse <laughs> to uh, say that you're breaking the law. And it you reminded me a lot of um, today in the U.S., there's this uh, pretty healthy uh, queer nihilist milieu um, around a journal called Biden. And they're famous for coming up with this catchphrase, be gay, do crime. Have you heard of that catchphrase? No, but it's, I, I like it. <laughs> I like the idea. But, um, but yeah, what do you think is the, this connection between queerness and, and crime and revolutionary politics? It's three completely different things. Uh, crime, queerness and crime are close because uh, uh, the, to be an homosexual was a crime. used to be, you know. In many countries, it's still a crime. You can go to the jail because to have Russian homosexual relationship, you know. You know that uh, it was forbidden to women to wear um, trousers until 10 years ago. Well, nobody was applying the law. But um, there's a connection between queerness and crime. And then there's a problem with the PC because they say, okay, they can be uh, blackmailed and all that, you know. But the connection because the homosexuals are illegal. So if you are an illegal person, it's very easy to fall in legality. But a lot, majority of homosexual people are very honorable people. <laughs> Not saying that. The prostitution is a crime for girls and, and boys. Um, and between revolutionary crime, that's an old ideology, you know, a little bit stupid. Uh, I was part in this ideology, so I can assume that. But the idea is that uh, uh, making crimes is a kind of subversion. It's a lot of guys we can say now 
who says that mafia is making crimes, they are just capitalists, you know. Not any crime is revolutionary. Don't think that. But um, still, to, to live, it makes sense. If you don't want to work a lot to be a slave, that's nothing to do with revolution, just to do to preserve it for your preservation. And perhaps the preservation is a revolutionary person and nothing more. It doesn't produce nothing, you know. Big crimes are interesting, small also, but we, at this time, we want, we try not to be um, inside the society. We have some pretension to be outside. That's, that's really a lie. Mm. In fact, nobody's outside. Everybody's inside, even if we're making crimes and all that. If you make something for money, you are in the world of money. So it's a kind of old anarchist ideology that the crime is something uh, just we are young, want to stay young, you know, and make illegal things. It's very pleasant. And you have the science to make something than the capitalists. Anyway, it's not true. But just, I'm always nostalgic of that. It's for, more for my pleasure, I think, mm-hmm. than for real the mystery of the revolution. When you are inside a revolution action, it's, you have to come some illegal things. You're fighting with cops or the army. Uh, it's uh, completely illegal. That's a crime. <laughs> anyway, stealing in the, in the, in the stores, that's just useful to have a free life. Nothing more. It doesn't serve the society. Uh, opening the, um, opening the door of, of, of the shop, saying to go with, go with your, um, all what you take without paying. That's interesting. It doesn't really make a revolution, but something that makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. what you call an open cashier, you know, and we, we made that. That makes some sense, but nothing more. It's a small thing, you know. But at the moment, looting uh, in, the, in, the, in the riots, it's normal. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Nothing I more. I don't want to evaluate as illegal activity. But anyway, it's part of our culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to ask you another about another book that's popular in the queer milieu in the United States, uh, Times Square Red, Times Square Blue by Samuel Delaney. Are you familiar with that book? No. Uh, so it's a book about what it was like to be gay in the 60s and 70s and 80s in New York and specifically going to uh, porno theaters and having hookups there. Yeah. And it's a very good book. Um the first half is just his description of of his hookups during this time. And then the second part is a, a theoretical essay, pretty Marxist actually, that in my reading is very nostalgic for this period of illicit cruising of, of hookups. He, he basically argues that it was a, a healthier thing for class society because it, it led to this contact between people of different classes. And I think in queer culture in general, there's this something of a nostalgia for when it was not permitted, when it wasn't so uh, accepted or, or spectacularized to be gay. Do, do you have any sort of nostalgia for, for what it was like to be gay in the, the 60s and 70s compared to now? I'm not especially nostalgic to be gay. I'm nostalgic of my youth, you know, and of, uh, of this period, but because it was my youth. And, uh, and now there's a lot of things that I can understand among the you people, among the identity politics and all that, a lot of things that seem stupid, you know. So I'm nostalgic, but as every old person, you know, it's difficult not to be nostalgic uh, when you had, when you were 20 and 68, you know. <laughs> but I'm not valorized that more. It was not better before. Uh, it was better. No, it was not better before. It was better for us. So life was easier. Uh, it was easier, say, don't uh, never work because. You don't have to look for work for a long time if you need one. No, we have to be more careful with such kind of things, you know. We are writing on the walls, uh, never work, ne travailler jamais. Say that to a young guy, anyway, I never would have, have a job, you know. And you can be nostalgic because the period was easier to live. You can work eight days and live on one month on that. That's, you can be nostalgic of that for young people that are now, you know. But it was, it was not better. You can say it was better in 36 in the front popular. No, it's stupid. Uh, I don't know. I don't really have nostalgia. I have nostalgia when I tell that young people don't believe me. They say, oh, shit, you're making that. That's great. And I'm sad when I see how 
um, young people, many young people are so reactionary, even among revolutionary milieu, you know, are so strange uh, reacting and all that. But the nostalgia, it was not better before. It was better because they were young, you know. Mm-hmm. And the period was interesting. And now we are in a very bad period of history, you know. Uh, I was always very optimistic. I'm not so optimistic. But I'm not to be nostalgia. Uh, if, if you have been making the evolution, it could be nostalgic. Now, everything failed anyway. Who is nostalgic of that, you know? <laughs> it was pleasant, pleasant to tell it. Uh, it's pleasant to remember, as everybody. If you have a beautiful, if, if you have, if you have the chance of a beautiful childhood, the beautiful uh, youth time, it's not for everybody. So you are nostalgic, but nothing more. Yeah. I don't consider it as better. We are not better. I see a lot of stupid things now, but a lot of great people also. I am not despising the younger generation. I don't agree with the mainstream talents uh, in the milieu, but I agree with a lot of other people. You know, no, I am not nostalgic. <laughs> I, I understand you. I mean, I was I'm nostalgic when I read some stories of, about the beginning of the century, it was 25, this liberty, you know, was around the 25, the Berlin milieu in the 30s, okay. But just history. So oh, I would like to, I, 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 I would like to have been living at this period, you know, Kevin, stupid. It's just dream. <laughs> well, yeah. Moving to our the, the our dark present moment, there's a, this widespread reaction to queerness, abortion, homosexuality, trans people. It's at the center of far right reactionary politics today in a way that it really wasn't ten years ago, twenty years ago. What, what do you think's behind that? Why is it? Why is that such a central part of of the right populist international they, movement they today? They don't have the list of levels, you know. Uh, they don't have no mean. They have nothing to say. Populism is that. When you have nothing to say, you try to federate people among something that would be a, a smallest common denominator, you know. But uh, it's it's always a story. His story was full of waves for that, you know. Full of waves. la And my mother told me how was the, um, the right um, groups in Paris. It was terrible. They have no right. They were fighting against them. Uh, now we have in France um, very, very few extreme right people, dangerous. There was a lot before in these times, you know. So I don't know exactly. It has something to do with um, the capitalist crisis. And that could be a reason to be optimistic, you know, because it's a sign of a crisis. When populist comes, that means, as Hitler, that society is in crisis because nobody needs that bloody populism except if you are in crisis, you know. And we are fighting for for living because people live more less. They are less. How to say that? Poverty is growing a lot. But as Bakunin said, it's not with um, powers. It's not the poverty who makes revolution. <laughs> it makes revolution. Well, I think one of the arguments in the the queer revolutionary milieu today, and I, I think probably in your time as well, was that queerness is is part of the crisis of capitalism because young people are increasingly disinterested in gender roles and the family in the sort of in the the lifestyle of their parents whether they were workers or not and so they're either choosing or just rejecting the idea that if you're a man you're going to have a spouse and be a breadwinner or if you're a a woman you're going to be a wife and you're going to have uh, be a homemaker and you're going to have kids and a house because those things are not so affordable today and so the concept of gender, which had this material promise to it at one time, is, is no longer as relevant. Uh, do you think there's something to that? There's no difference. Uh, what you say about the revolt against families, the roles, we had the same in the 70s, exactly the same. <laughs> the, the Women Emission Front was uh, claiming that, uh, uh, as it was said, this was um, uh, who is a... Who is um, washing your socks? You know, <laughs> it's the same revolt. And to be queer, it doesn't make difference with this revolt. Just don't to want to um, be uh, a slave of someone or something. Like you are, in fact. And the, the women's revolt uh, in the history have a lot of period of backlash and 
and freedom and backlash and freedom and backlash. Mm. Anyways, and now we had the backlash in the eighties. I don't know. I have no special opinion on that. I know that uh, when when there is a crisis, um, all the populist party they try to uh, gather people around what is conservative because you, you have to preserve what you have. You know? Because you don't know what the future is, is, is giving to you. But anyway, we had that before that in the story, and worse than that, you know. Really worse. Now there are more clowns than something else. But who knows? The clowns can becoming furious also. <laughs> the, the clowns are the fascists? Trump is a clown, you know. <laughs> For instance. Who are the who? Macron? Trump, Trump. But so now saying stupid things of the guy in Argentina. Oh, okay, right, 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 right. He's, he's definitely the, a clown, yeah. And you have to have a lot of things that we don't have. Creationist movements and people who are saying Darwin is wrong, um, God makes the world fat. That oh. we don't have here. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> people like that. It's not the same in the US and here, anyway. Well, what, what about Le Pen? The what? The what? Le Pen. Le Pen is dead. Uh, the, the extreme right of Le Pen, uh, they are not more fascist than they, than they are. Uh, there are no groups, very few people. They make it real fascist. They are just extreme right, stupid people. Nothing more. They are not, they are not the same um, way as Le Pen or Bolsonaro. They can't. The French society is not ready to, uh, to, uh, to hear about to stop abortion, things like that. You know, the, the influence of religion is very strong in USA. It's not so strong here. Mm. Uh, we don't have all those bloody Presbyterians and all that. The case, the license of Muslim religion is coming more, not so not so much as they say, because a lot of people uh, suppose we Muslim are not. In fact, as we are not uh, Christian or Jews or nobody cares about religion. But there is no real rising of that here because the uh, Asian influence in France has nothing to do with with Spain. Italy, and in USA, I was first time I was in USA was seventy eight. So much church, so many people reading polls, so some superstition. I never see that in France, you know. It's not the same country, you know, the same culture. Mm -hmm. The influence of the religion is very important in USA. We don't have that here. No more. <laughs> so you're not, are, are you not particularly mm -hmm. concerned about a, a Le Pen presidency? But what? Le Pen presidency. Yeah. Marine Le Pen, even if she came to be president, so it's some, it's some, it might be, how to say that, sitting for small things, but uh, she's not sending the way of the capital is, uh, is functioning, you know. Making, this may not, the small things of the life, it can be, very, Macron is making new laws against um, immigration, new laws against people. If it's right, doesn't make that. It's left making that. It's Macron making that. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Hollande, who was supposed to be a socialist, make a lot of really bad laws um, against uh, poor people, immigration, all that. You know, it's, it's, I don't think it can be a problem for small, small things, but very shitting things like the situation of the people in immigration, all that. You know, mm -hmm. but in the front, as in Hungary, you know, in Hungary. I talked with other uh, comrades two years ago, back at the Galaxy Barricade, and how, is, how to deal with the fascist. They say, accept uh, all the racism against um, uh, gypsies. We don't, we don't have to deal with the fascism. The business as usual, fascism or not, you know. It doesn't change the fundamental things. It will be sitting, uh, it, it can also make a kind of revolt, you know. It would be interesting. Anyway, I, I, I don't uh, I don't vote. You know. I'm not on the list. Yeah, I'm not a Democrat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like in, in Italy, for example, um, the yeah. Maloney is sort of what you're talking about, where besides being very xenophobic and uh, yeah. having the, these sort of racialist policies, she's just a neoliberal. Not more. Sabine Hungary. But it's really... Uh, it's, it does not for a long time, but they have they take some measures, so are really creepy, you know. That's the danger. Not to, it's not fundamental things, but things can prove it's really life for many people. That's the problem. Uh, so with social security with all that, you know. 
so, so you spoke about the yellow vest before, and and they've you know I, I think uh, leftists in the United States are always looking at the way French workers will riot and have general strikes, and uh, or there'll be riots in the Banlieu, and uh, I think leftists in the United States are uh, kind of look at that in envy, like why can't we fight so hard here, or like why is it so sporadic here that we have uprisings? Um, what, what's your opinion of the? You have a lot of strikes in USA. Well, you have a lot not, of strikes and movements. Not general strikes. Just watch it. Not general, but no. there are strikes. There's no more in France. They're not as militant as they are in France. There's just not that tradition. No, no more. For one day, a general strike doesn't mean nothing. Mm-hmm. It's not a general. In '68, it was a real general strike. It was the biggest in the world, and still is the biggest. Nothing was so strong, but there's no. But everybody, the German people, people from Berlin, they come in France each time with demonstrations. They make a kind of revolutionary tourist, you know. Uh-huh. So uh, I say for the U.S., don't come because it does. It's not not, it's not in Paris. You have to go in, in the countryside. You don't. You know, nobody's there. I do. Nobody's there. You are. You are not welcome to go to the with the U.S. in the countryside or to find them. Uh, but each time it was in Paris, they were there, you know, because uh, so it's fascinating. There's nothing more. Nothing so great is that. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, you spoke positively about the the yellow vest what do you, what do you think is different about the yellow vest than like the uh the, the sort of strikes against uh macron's pension reforms earlier this year not the same people not at all many yellow vests completely new in acting people who never there are more rightist people and never think they're gonna they're gonna be make that what they make it was people's hinterland you know it was rival to the hinterland that nothing to do with a strike. There was no strike. Mm-hmm. People, some people tried try to do that, but they were they were not revolutionary. They became to be more and more. At the at the beginning, they were just saying it's all the fault of macro. At the end, they say okay, it's the fault of capitalism. But it it was not a pure revolutionary movement at all. It was nothing to do with strikes. Just what was amazing, there was a revolt coming from the interland of those people who never talk. You know, you never see. Coming in the countryside, you know, in the bloody small small towns, really small towns. It was the same in 68, before 68. But it was able to people, we, unemployed, old people, a lot of old people. Uh, people living in the shit, completely in the shit, you know. And they have no no work, no... They don't protest against exploitation. They don't, they are no more exploited. They are just poor people, you know. Mm-hmm. Without a job, without nothing, it was completely awesome. In the summer camp in Berlin, we made uh, an intervention with Jackie about the French Yellow West. It's a completely different movement, nothing to do with that. And they were, they could be very stupid, very homo- homophobic, very uh, criticizing Macron because he has an old wife, you know, a stupid thing like that, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was really a deep revolt of poor people in the hinterland. People who are forgotten completely by the state, you know. It was really a revolt against the state. They don't have the consciousness of that, but it's a revolt against the state. Nothing um, more. All right, I guess I'll, I've just got one more question to ask you, and we, we can keep talking if you want, but um, I like to ask, uh, especially in this series, talking to people who were around in the 60s and 70s, um, do you have any hope for a, a revolution today? All my books finish with that. I have hope for that. But there is no way. This is no hope to, for evolution. There is no life for me. I'm not sure. I believe in that in, in sense of I'm, I'm, six, seven, I'm 76. I'm sure I'm not going to see something real. But anyway, uh, I'm, the revolution is a probability. It's not, we are not sure of that. And the capitalism is uh, dying. It's coming. But what will be after? We don't know. And that's a communist job is to to look what is going on after, what can go after, you know, to be there. If you if, if people uh, don't think about what's what they can uh, create the communization when they do the revolution, when you don't you don't think you are going to do that, it's a project. So I can't say I believe in that. I just say I can live without believing in that. I don't know if you see what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's the only that's what, honest way to, to look at the situation is uh, you might not have optimism or hope, but you still have to fight. 
Yes. So Herr Block said that principal uh, hope, you know, principal espérance. So in English, that's it. Anyway, but without that, there is no life. One time I asked a friend of mine, my age, <coughs> why are making, we make looking a lot of work for for the summer camp, for an info shop, for, why are we making all that? And she said, you know, I think we can, we could live without. So, it's my answer. <laughs> all right. To, to plug the book again, it's called Fag Hag from PM Press. It's a short and very rewarding read, very funny. Um, there's some nice pictures in there. So besides that, what we have a lot of young queer and, and trans listeners um, who are interested in revolutionary politics as well. What would you recommend they read? What would you recommend they, they follow along your lines of thinking? And you recommend also the Dove's book. Jill uh, Dove. Uh, your, place, your Place or Mine. Mm-hmm. Because that's, you, our two books go together. Dove began to interview of me and has made my book. And he was working on your place or mine. PM Press also. <laughs> great. Uh, thanks so much for your time, Lola. It was, it was great talking to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>